Welcome to Cooking the Books, the food and hospitality podcast discussing all aspects of the industry. We interview chefs, butchers, brewers, winemakers, restaurateurs, restaurant managers, and we talk about how they got to this point, through the good times and the bad, and what they've got planned for the future. This is Cooking the Books. This week on the podcast, we had Vanessa and Matt from Rooftop Honey. These guys are urban beekeepers. They have hives on top of buildings all over the city. They can tell you where their honey comes from down to the postcode. It's fucking amazing. Uh, Yeah, if you're interested in bees and the amazing part that bees play in the ecosystem, you're going to thoroughly enjoy this. I really thought it was bees. I knew the pollinated things. Um, Obviously, it's part of their job, but... I'm going to be honest, I thought mainly they were the made honey, but how little I knew about how much they actually pollinate food for us to eat. Without them, we're as good as screwed, so we all need to take a little bit more care and, um, yeah, appreciate the bees and maybe do a little bit more for them because they do so much for us. This week, the podcast is brought to you by City Larder, the charcuterie specialists specialising in terrines, pâtés and rillettes for the retail and food service market here in Australia. City Ladder just received two gold medals for the free-range chicken, leek and truffle terrine and also the free-range chicken liver pâté. The only charcuterie company to receive uh, gold medals for terrine's pâtés or riettes this year in the Australian Food Awards. Now, over to the show. Guys, awesome. Nice to meet you. I've never yeah. met you before. Nice to see you again, for sure. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Yeah, thanks um, for having us. Do you want to take two minutes and just explain who you are and what you do and the rest of it? Sure. My name's Vanessa and we are Rooftop Honey and we look after bees in the city. Yeah. Um, weren't always beekeepers. Uh, so about about 11 years or so ago, um, we were living in a suburban block. Um, Vanessa's quite a keen gardener. Uh, interested in growing our food um, and and doing what we could for a little bit of our own sustainability and food awareness. From that, uh, looking at what we could do more on a suburban block, um, realised that beekeeping is something you can do here in Australia. Uh, Knew nothing about bees, didn't even know the importance, true importance of bees, growing up in Australia, a little bit naive. Um, So went and got ourselves educated in beekeeping with a local course through a a club. Uh, From that, uh, an addiction, um, mm-hmm. like tattoos, some would say, yeah. uh, starts at one. Um, and then uh, we do have some limits on on hive density here. So we, we, we soon had two hives and that's our, our limit for our size land. Looking at how we could then have a few more hives, uh, a few friends, chefs in the industry, we thought the, the natural connection was food and uh, food security, food supply, local produce. Contacted them about the possibility of putting a few hives out with their restaurants uh, once we got a, a first couple off the ground, uh, Melbourne food scene, very much interested in, in what we were doing, we're, we're talking about us and it kind of exploded around us. So what we thought would be a little weekend hobby of going and looking after our five or six hives in the first year turned into about 22, 24 hives. We started to uh, continue to see the demand and then had to think about, do we... Uh, change careers and uh become so you working full-time mm. yeah. so, so now we are we weren't at the time we, yeah. we were we were trying to maintain old jobs of, of it and and corporate life yeah um realize that here's an opportunity let's let's have a go That's see what happens roll the dice yeah for sure it's the way in it what what 
what part do bees play in the ecosystem? Mostly their main role is for pollination. So pretty much all, probably about 60 to 70% of the food that we eat is relying on bee pollination. 60 to 70%. Yeah. Mm. So especially things like uh, stone fruits and uh, lots of cherries, um, almonds, all sorts of even, you know, all of our pears, peaches. Uh, life would be fairly boring looking, bland, bland eating food really if you were to rely on just wind pollinated food. So their main role is specifically pollination and honey is kind of one of the, I suppose, it's more of a lot of secondary uh, things that they create and it's pretty much their food source for winter. So that's why bees collect nectar to make honey. To make and what's that honey for? What, what for, for them to eat? Yeah, it's for yeah, them to eat. Yeah, yeah. So they are European honeybees. Um, they're being prepared to be essentially snowed in for the whole of winter. So they collect the nectar during the season. They evaporate the moisture content down. Once it gets below about... They, they evaporate the moisture by doing what? So they keep the hive at 35 degrees all year round oh, with so good airflow. Oh, so it's like a reduction. Yeah, like yeah. literally yeah, yeah. they reduce it. And once it gets yeah. down to less than 20% moisture content, they put a wax capping over it and seal it. How do they know it's 20%? Because they're amazing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> then They must smell it. They smell it and yeah, go, literally. well, this won't ferment. Yeah. So we're capping this. This is for storage. Yeah. And, and, I was thinking more like, you know, like your nana does a toffee and test it in the oh, water. Okay. Yeah. You know, like, yep. Do they like get it on the legs and dip it in some other know. So not that we know of yet. We don't know the, yeah. the method in which they detect the moisture content. But the reason they do it is uh, when they reduce the moisture content, it's super high in sugar, which means high in acid, uh, low in moisture content. Uh, it can't ferment with airborne yeast which is um, alcohol is toxic to living organisms. So they're doing it to preserve their own food. Amazing. And that's what we call honey. Yeah, yeah, far out. And then, so it, let's say you didn't take it. Would they, would they stop making it? Like, how does it work? Like, Well, honeybees specifically will, they're so industrious and productive, they will displace themselves. So um, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, interesting question because it has been brought up with us beforehand if humans didn't intervene and take their honey then what would happen with the bees would they stop making it i don't think that they would stop making i think it's very instinctual for them to do it's just that these particular bees that we do keep they just produce excess the, and it's in there. It's in their genetics to do going, this. Just keep going. Just keep they going. They just keep. They just keep going, and they will. They will manage that too by um, what we call swarming. They'll d- naturally divide, and they will just alleviate numbers out of that that hive until they have what they determined as the appropriate amount of bees to maintain that colony. So, what will happen the rest? Well, the, the, the half that do swarm um, will leave with the old queen and they'll build themselves a new colony somewhere. So in a hollow of a tree, possum boxes are pretty popular in Australia. So let's just break that down. I'm not, I'm not 100% getting that. Okay. So you've got, a, you've got the hive, right? It's yep. all got, and then you say they'll swarm. Like what, 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 like what, what makes them swarm? What, what, it's why would an instinctual do? thing. So spring There's time, too many so in there. Is that what the, you're saying? There's a couple of triggers. There's a couple of triggers. So one of the things is um, it's a seasonal thing. It's what, you know, when chickens want to sit on eggs in spring, bees want to naturally divide because bees want to populate the world and, and keep keep their colonies going. So they'll naturally divide and go out and create. Like and, and Yeah, totally. They'll, re, they'll re, reproduce, yeah, so yeah. to speak. Um, it's, it, 
yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's, it's, as a beekeeper, if you're in, if you're in the if you're interested in collecting honey, you don't really want your bees to swarm because you want your army or your workforce to be whole. Um, but it is a natural thing for them to want to do at certain times of the year. So as us beekeepers, we can manage that. I don't think we can prevent it but it's something that we can help working with the bees to try and manage. So we can do things like, well, if you miss the swarm, you can go catch the swarm. So you can go chase, but a lot of beekeepers go chasing swarms. Which is a, like which storm is, chasers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, springtime is the time of year all the beekeepers are out looking in trees going, where are those bees? Um, so we can also uh, artificially uh, divide the hive to help alleviate that urge that they want to so it's it's like it's almost like this, we're too big we're having a bit of a fallout i want to get all my mates we're going to go and start our own little sort of, our yeah. Own. yeah so they've reached their critical mass and especially if they're if once they're out of room uh and if they have stores on board they're doing the calculations and you know they're doing a, they believe that they're also doing long range weather forecasts about how long the winter will also be uh and so then they're deciding yet yeah, we can afford to lose uh half of the colony and uh what it, what what is now also known with bees is the queen doesn't make any decisions of the colony. It is a true democratic process amongst all the workers. The queen is purely there to lay eggs, mm. and they keep her happy to keep her laying. So the workers decide what's happening. The workers will decide that yeah, we need to we need to divide. They will then take an egg, make a, a new queen cell out of it, and just before that new queen emerges her pheromones start to become quite active. The old queen can smell that there's a new queen coming. If she hangs around, there will be a fight to the death and youth usually win. will win. Like lions so, or so the yeah. old queen then says, all right, all my loyalists, let's let's go. And also, the, generally the new queen takes over that. that yeah, that so hive. the old queen leaves and takes the loyalists and new queen then emerges and runs the, the old hive. Yeah, so there's various <laughs> reasons why they want to do that. Yeah, like what Matt just said. <clears throat> A new queen. They want to make a new queen because queens need to be young. They need to have a, a lot of pheromone. And if the old queen is starting to not lay as many eggs, or, or not she's not quality, a, she's yeah. not so emitting a side. strong enough pheromone for them, um, the workers will decide to basically oust her. Bloody hell! Yeah. <laughs> and then when you saying that about the, the something to do with the egg, like you make a queen yeah. egg, is that yeah. right? So what's like how how does that work? Do you know? Yep. So all of the all of the bees we see out in the field in the garden are female workers. So they when the queen lays an egg, um, she'll feel with her antenna uh, the size of the cell, and if it's a normal. Uh, brood size cell for a worker uh, the queen will then fertilize the egg as she lays it if it's a larger cell for a male drone she will lay the egg unfertilized so within the first three days before the egg hatches <clears throat> it's in royal jelly that the the workers excrete to to uh, to feed the the eggs um, once it once a egg hatches and becomes a larvae, its diet changes to what we call bee bread, which is a mixture of nectar and pollen. Um, if they were to take one of those eggs within its first three days while it's still on royal jelly, move it into a... So the bees will actually literally remove it from a normal cell, create a vertical bigger cell, and then continue to feed that royal jelly through the whole way through its, its larva and pupation stage, it will then develop full functioning ovaries. So it's exactly the same egg as all of the female workers. It's just had a different diet and it oh. allows it to develop as a full functional queen. 
Phenomenal. So they effectively make it, like you said, they make yeah. it. Yeah. So, like, for example, if, say, something happens and the queen like, dies. Why, well, why, right? does, why, sorry, wait, no, why is that queen not like, hang on a minute, what are they doing over there? Like, yeah, do you know what I mean? Literally. Like, hang on a minute, there's yeah. something fishy going on around here. And, and the workers will, uh, at times, hide those queen cells and, and huddle around to, to protect it. So yeah, yeah. That, so the queen can't yeah. stop it. So Because the, the queen yeah. still does have uh, a stinger. She doesn't have a barbed stinger like the, the normal worker bees that we're, we know do. Um, so one of the things that can happen is, <clears throat> um, for example, supersedure cells. So the, um, the queen, the, the, the workers will make many queens as insurance policy for a failing queen. Um, and then once the first queen emerges, there can be numbers of other queens that are sitting there in their cells ready to emerge um, that were all kind of made at the same time. So it can be minutes, hours, within days of all them emerging. And what usually happens is the, the new queen that's out will make a piping noise, a high-pitched chirp. The queens that are or in their cells almost ready to emerge can't help themselves but to respond to that queen piping noise and then that queen will then go around and stab them all to death in their cell before they emerge. <laughs> yeah, so, pretty um, brutal. If, yeah. Yeah, if it's multiple cast swarms, so if the, the colony's just got so large, in that case the workers will protect those second and third and fourth queens and um, stop the new queen being able to get to them. So the old queen will have left with some workers, the, the, the young... Um, new queen has come out. She can. She knows there's other queens there, but she can't get to them because they're being protected. So then she realizes I'm a I'm a cast. I, I'm I'm for a cast swarm. So then she'll grab as many loyalists and she'll leave. So you can have four or five swarms easily oh, at a yeah. time. So they'll just alleviate the numbers until they've worked yeah. out the maths of how yeah. many they actually want left. Um, but they've got like literally they have all the resources they need. They can they can make a queen on demand pretty much. If, say, for instance, you know, she fatally dies yeah, or yeah. something happens to her, um, they can instantly kind of go to an egg that's less than three days old and they can draw out a queen cell and create another queen. With it, with how quickly? A queen can uh, emerge in about 16 days. Oh, right. Yeah. So what would happen within that 16 days? Is there like a, a general or someone that just says, you know, I'll look after – is that – well, the bees themselves are probably going to be a bit. They will be. They will be definitely watching their numbers because it's all about critical mass. They will be going backwards quite a lot within that sixteen days before the new queen comes out. The thing is, the new queen will come out and she still needs to mate. So, it could be up until it could be a month, and depending on the weather, if it's rainy, she might not be able to do a mating flight, so she might be stuck inside for a bit longer. So. The, the the bees themselves only live to about six to eight weeks, so they are dramatically going backwards in their numbers, and yeah, they yeah. need to they need to get back on top of that. So the queen can lay up to two thousand eggs a day. Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, it's all about mass. Yeah, man. A, a mating flight. What's a mating flight? <laughs> <laughs> so it's um it's well the queen the queen will leave the colony. She'll pretty much, well, we don't know 100%, but it is fairly common knowledge amongst beekeepers that the queen will leave for an initial flight where she goes to meet a whole heap of drone drones, which is in some kind of congregation area. So basically the pub where the boys all hang out. And she'll go and meet with the guys down there and she'll have numerous mating sessions with 
many, many drones. Uh, and then she's pretty much got enough eggs for her to lay her whole entire life. Off so that's one up, night. Yeah, so off one night she, <laughs> she will hold, um, hold enough sperm inside her to be able to, yeah, so fertilise up to 2,000 eggs a day for up to four plus years, they believe. So she can she can live a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah. And how many different species of bees are there? Because I, you know, I see the bees here are a lot different than the bees that I see in England, like the bumblebee. Do you know, yeah. like the big. You guys you know, got the black bee, the buckfast as well. Those kinds of bees. Yeah. yeah well, so we don't have um, the bumblebees here on the mainland. Tasmania does have oh, them, so that? they do, and they're they're what uh, we call a solitary bee. So honeybees are... So they don't produce honey, them ones? No, they live... Well, no, they don't store it. No, they just... They basically live from day to day. They might congregate and hang out with other bumblebees overnight, but they actually don't create a hive like the honeybees do. Where will they sleep? Just like... Like native bees, they sleep in all sorts of places, undersides of plants. They sleep in... Sometimes they have little hollows. Sometimes they get into... um, in between bricks and mortar yeah, 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 um, yeah. in in walls of places, all sorts of yeah, all sorts of different um, different places that they can congregate. Um, in Australia, we have about nineteen hundred different species of bees Jeez. of native bees. We do have a handful of bees that are native that potentially can create or make honey but they only pretty much make small amounts of honey um we keep honeybees mainly because they are i suppose considered our agricultural our pollinator angels who do all of you know our yeah, yeah. pollination for food and the reason why beekeepers keep honeybees is because they create more surplus than any other yeah, they do say that the European honeybee is the world's most efficient pollinator. So that, that is why we use. But there's been lots of there's been lots of recent studies that do show that uh, the native bees also do pollination for us. But it's just uh, trying to work out. We've had so much of a focus on honeybees that the native bees are starting to get looked into now as to how their importance as well. So um, we have up in New South Wales and Queensland the trigona bees, which are native, and a lot of people are now keeping them as well, which is um, which is great to see because, you know, as much as I love honeybees or um, there's, you know, their proper name being Apis mellifera, I really do think that all pollinators are important yeah, and especially yeah. our native pollinators. So, you know, we can't forget about them. So in Victoria we have things like those little blue banded bees. Um, you might see them in the garden. They're often – you find them pollinating tomato plants. They love basil and herbs and things like that as well. But they're what – we call buzz pollinators. So they're like a – they're basically a headbangers, they're vibration. They, 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 they get – they shake the actual flowers yeah, yeah. to help pollinate it where honeybees are a little bit more. They'll go in there and they'll selectively touch everything and crawl over everything, which then they transfer and move to something else so they spread it that way. I see the always lavender. You know, mm-hmm. all, every, there's a few people who got lavender. The always the lavender's always getting hammered. Is that is that the guy? Like, do they love lavender? Or something? Yeah, I mean they 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 do. They, they they have honeybees have preferences as well. So, but they do they do specifically like that color. Um, the blues, the purples, they are very much attracted to. 
What what is the structure of a colony? Like you said, you've got the queen, the workers. Yeah. Is there other is there other jobs for people to do? Yeah, totally. So generally, um, bees will do their job according to well their age. So most of the time, what actually happens is, is so if you're if you're if you come out to be a worker bee, which is a female, you will mostly go into your first job will be nursing duties. Um, so that'll be feeding other uh, larvae um, and doing jobs inside the hive. So uh, they actually don't start to come out to learn how to fly until they're about two weeks old. So in the probably in generally it happens between about eleven and two to three o'clock in the day. If you've got a colony of um, bees in your backyard, what you'll find is um, you'll start to see. It's they kind of like come out of the front entrance and start crawling up the hive and kind of flying off and then coming back to the entrance. That is what us beekeepers call orientation flights, um, and that was that was pretty much them trying you learn how, learning how to fly. Um, but there's all sorts of roles in the hive. There's like funeral duties where you you know you'll basically pick up bees that might die inside the colony and like they'll be taken out the front door and dumped um there's other jobs where like for example um bees who are scout bees so bees who go out and find new nectar sources or uh new homes for potential swarms they have been studies have shown that those kinds of bees have like they're more uh spirited and more adventurous than some of the others. So they do kind of have personalities yeah, yeah. as so well. So they're going to find new plots, like a new flower bed or a new... Yeah, yeah, so they'll go out and find new nectar sources and they'll come home to the colony. Adventurous, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're basically... Captain Cook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they go out and find those and they come back to the colony and they will, um, they will do a dance to demonstrate where that nectar source is to the other workers. So, um, yeah, so <clears throat> essentially that's all done with uh, what we call the waggle dance. Um, it's it's done in the darkness inside the hive, so it's all done via a, a looping dance um, in a figure of eight with a, a vibration through the middle of it. And the way that it's, uh, the way that it's danced on the frame and where the bees are all around feeling it... Um, is uh, in relation to north, and that is showing direction from the sun. And then the amount of times they go around and the intensity of the vibrations on it is them explaining to the other bees how much energy to expend to get to the destination, which is measuring the distance. So they can tell you angle and distance, and they know that they're pretty much on. Yeah. Is that is that one bee would be doing that, or would that be like a, like a, a group of bees who've gone out together, or is it? You know? So when the scouts come back, there's multiple scouts that'll all scout different things, and it's when they come back, they go through a democratic process of of selling what they found, uh, and it, they get one chance to show what they've found, um, and that's it, and it's up to the rest of the colony to make it then the democratic oh, so process. yours is great, you know. Yeah, you, yeah, we're not sure what you're selling. That's but amazing. The yeah. same thing happens when they decide, when they say, so when they swarm. So basically when they're hanging in a big bunch in springtime, a scout will go out or various scouts will go out and go and find new places to potentially live, and they have to come back. They'll come back to the swarm. And they will do the. They will do that. They run through the swarm and basically sell their new, the new potential home. 
And um, unlike our politicians, they only get one chance. <laughs> and then if they, if the, if the basically, if they don't, they don't want it, that's it. You know, you've had yeah. your chance. Yeah, Let yeah. somebody else come and sell us something else. That's amazing. It's, they're amazing, aren't they? What you're saying about the species? The, yeah, the species. Do they all? They don't mix, do they? Or is it always just one? You know, you say there's so many species. Do they all stick together? Do you know? Does that make sense? Is uh, it mixed race? Is what I'm trying to get at. In, <laughs> in one colony yeah, or out in, in one, the field? In, in one colony. Yeah, no, yeah. no. In one colony, it is. It is just apis. Well, so what we're talking about is European honeybees, apis mellifera. Yeah. They will stick together. We see Asian bees as well. They they can be kept in a hive and they do produce honey. That's apis serrana, um, but uh, they won't live. Uh, co co live in a hive together. We do see in the field though, honey bees are not competitive. We see blue banded bees and European honey bees on the same flower, all um, working together. All working together. All, all, uh, in actual yeah. fact, I saw a video that somebody had put up somewhere on a uh, social platform, and it was a bunch of. Aussie native bees given a honeybee a hard time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like these little ones. They would like the honeybee was trying to get in into this flower, right? And these little trigonas were like knocking knocking this honeybee out, going, get out of here. So, you know, everybody everybody talks about honeybees and them potentially displacing natives. I think the natives can look after themselves quite quite well. Yeah, okay. What kind of distance will they travel? Mm, okay, so Generally, um, observations have said that they travel up to about five kilometres from the hive. Some people say that in urban environments that they only can't, they don't need to travel as far, which is why they potentially may live a bit longer. But in the country, they can travel up to eight. I don't know. I haven't measured. Yeah, yeah. They do say, yeah, they can travel for up to five kilometres comfortably to find food and, and return in the same day. You know... To far a distance to walk, you know, for, for their size. Size, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. You, you yeah. know, like to walk five k and back. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah I did I think a five k walk today. We worked you know it out I mean? their size compared to a human size. We were, we were working bees one day, and we were going through the maths of it in conversation. Me and one of our beekeeper friends, we worked out our ratio of our rough size and mass compared to a bees, and then uh, worked out if we scaled up the distance, the five k's that they can travel, and, and scaled it up. To a human size, yeah. I think it's us to the moon twice and back in one day, yeah. which what? is insane. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Yeah, because yeah, we're basically virtually nothing. Like, yeah. look at the way, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, how much? How much honey does one bee produce? One bee. Oh, in its lifetime, there is a general. There's a there's a saying that goes around that says one bee in its entire lifetime will produce, what, half a teaspoon of honey? It might even be an eighth of a teaspoon. We'll have to check that yeah, fact. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, I heard It's half. a fraction of yeah, a teaspoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's eight, that's eight weeks. Is it, was it eight weeks? Yeah. Yeah, in eight mm. weeks. So it's not much, is it? Let's be that's honest. It's like millions and millions of flowers to go visit. Yeah. And it's not, they're not just collecting honey, they're collecting pollen too. So they've got... They've got little little baggies that they have on their little sacks on their legs that so they bring home pollen what, as well. And what do they do with that? So pollen is their pollen is their protein and nectar is their carbohydrates. So they have a combination. They have well balanced diet. They do. They have a well balanced <laughs> diet. But pollen is one of their triggers for the the beginning of the season. So when you start 
when you start keeping bees, um, you notice you get obsessed and then you keep on watching them. You're watching them coming in and out the entrance, watching, seeing what they're doing. Um, this time of the year, they start to bring copious amounts of pollen back to the hive and that is their trigger for them to start breeding up because they mix the pollen in with the nectar to feed the young. Oh, Matt's got some facts here. A single worker bee produces about a twelfth of a teaspoon of honey. So basically nothing, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's fairly minimal, yeah. Especially when you're putting like a a tablespoon on your toes. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally right. And we should really, you know, honour and respect it because they do work so, so hard. But when you think about it, you know, a colony, a big, well, in the height of the season, say in summertime, you could have up to about 50,000 bees in in a hive. So it's pretty big, and yeah, then they yeah. go. They that, that's when they they build up, and then they'll also um, in winter time they're pretty much down to about say what ten to twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. Bloody hell! So they do reduce themselves yeah, a yeah. lot, and it depends on how much they've they've potentially collected throughout the season and what their stores are like. So in the winter, they're just inside the hive. In Australia, they do quite a lot of foraging. You will see bees flying on say. 13, 14 degree days. So a day like today, they will be out and about if there are sources for them to go and collect from. But yeah, they, I mean, they do like to warm up a bit, but they will fly. But yeah, but generally they will be in there. The majority yeah. will be. The oh, majority yeah. of yeah. the bees are, yes, in, inside yeah. the hive. And they're maintaining that temperature Because they're still maintaining like, warmth. Yeah, I was going to, yeah, how are they, they shut the front door or what? Or did they, or they, they will, just huddle? Well, they, well, actually, yeah, it's a good point. Shutting the front door. So bees, another thing that bees actually do collect is propolis, so tree resins. Oh, yeah. Um, and they'll use that to embalm things in the hive. So if a, a small mouse was to get in or insects get in that they do manage to kill uh, or, or protect themselves from, um, rather than it then rotting and bringing bacteria into the hive, they'll, they'll entomb it or embalm it in, in propolis. But they also use that resin and propolis. It's, it's, Have you found that before? Yeah, yeah, we collect prop. That's the stuff that stains our suits and makes our gloves sticky more so than, than the honey. Um, yeah. being, a, being a resin oil-based, it's hard to wash out. Um, it is also their antifungal and, and it also provides antimicrobial for them. So they use it as a bit of a medicine cabinet, they believe, but they also plug up drafts and shut their doorway down in winter so they can manage than control temperature. Yeah, amazing. I, I see. Did you ever watch that Attenborough thing where there was, I think it was like Japanese bees or Asian bees? Ah, yeah, with against the, hornet. the hornet. Yeah, the hornet. And, yeah. The, and they all got around it and shook it. Because yep. it, so it yeah. it's within a degree difference of they can live to. And so the bees will warm it up. And once it dies, they've got quickly got to jump off because they've got to, I think, one to two or one or two degrees before they'll die. So they have to jump off and cool down really amazing. quickly. Amazing. Just there. That, that <laughs> hornet obliterated. Oh, my God. It'd be like yeah. land of the giant coming in, yeah, right? It, yeah, it's like <laughs> that. And they well, just dis- just destroying them, wasn't it? Um, how how important is different pollen? Is it nectar? To, to, like, like you say, a vary of diet. You're saying you know they like to have a nice balance of diet. So is it like strawberry plants and tomato plants? Is that important? Mm, definitely, diversity is really important to bees. It, it it leads to them having you know we talked about a balanced diet, and it's good for honeybee health. Like there are certain pollens that are you know. There, there's the scale of nutritional value of pollen and some pollens are a better value for them than others. Some of the um, some of the eucalypts are good, but a lot uh, some of the eucalypts are, are not very nutritional for them. A lot of the European plants are very much so because 
they're European honeybees. So that, so like you said, that about, sorry, about, about the native bees, they're like more the native plants. Is that, is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And that's uh, also why they've discovered that our native, especially our native eucalypts, uh, are such abundant producers of nectar and pollen is because our native bees aren't as efficient as the European honeybee. So um, they've evolved to put out copious amounts of nectar and pollen in order to get other marsupials and even birds to help with pollination. And so when European honeybees got here after the first fleet came and, and said we need pollinators, send them across, European honeybees got here and saw what the, the native eucalypts were doing and must have thought it was absolutely amazing. And that's why Australia is then one of the best honey producers in the world. Is it? Australia's yeah, one of the yeah. best honey producers in the world? We produce a lot of honey. Um, going back to the col- the pollen though, I really think that that's why places like uh, suburbia and our, like our cities and our peri-urban spaces are really, really good places to keep bees because it helps with the varied diet for them. Because different people are planting different things in their gardens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so like one big field of well, Yeah, monoculture. Whatever. Monoculture is an issue um, for not just bees but in general. Monoculture... Uh, almonds we're seeing at the minute where like it's, it's bigger than, than monoculture means one one plantation one, so yeah. we, we've got uh around robinvale our almond plantations which are uh enormous uncomprehendable fields of almonds farms so big that go for kilometers in different directions that the bees can't like even outfly. so if so if they're stuck in the middle of there yeah. All they're getting is so up. all they're getting is almond pollen nectar. Yeah. What what the almond trees are producing, but it's only for that short window of flowering. So as a beekeeper, you need to make sure that they're healthy before they come in, and that you that they're flowering when you put them out, or they're about to flower within a day or two, and then you go and get your bees back out within a day or two because as soon as there's not enough food, they're going to go backwards. So you're, you're lending your bees, is that what you're that, saying? That's a pollination service that some beekeepers provide. Oh, okay. The other concern is with pollination, what we have seen with science is when we have such a large crop uh, that you can get um, evolution of pests and diseases that will then run through giant crops like that. So that's when we used to have companion planting and things like that that looked after that and diversity. With lack of diversity, monoculture, uh, we're much more prone to, to diseases and pests. And therefore, on monoculture, we see heavy, heavy pesticide usage. And, and, and again, that's going to affect bees and humans. Yeah, for sure. But it's not only that. It's just like, for example, we've got just now the almonds have been pollinated and the demand for the amount of bees to come in to do that is with talking about, so beekeepers have come from all over the country to the almond fields and we're talking about 160, 180,000 beehives being brought in on trucks. Which each one holds 50,000. Not not, not yet because it's the beginning of the season. They're pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're pretty much like they're small. They're smaller in size. But they're coming in to sit in the almond fields for, what, four to six weeks? And then they get moved out. So the other issue you've got is because bees are, especially honeybees, they're very social, you've got potential transference of diseases as well. So there's bee diseases as well that can potentially, you know, be, say, for example, uh, jumping out of a Queensland hive into a Victorian hive and the Victorian hives come back down, say, we'll just say the peninsula, and then you've potentially can 
you know, um, spread de- disease amongst the local ones. They don't have the whatever it is to fix them maybe that the, the, they might have in Queensland or something. Yeah, so saying? for example, um, there's small hive beetle, which is a, a pest to the, to the bees. Now, we didn't have that in Victoria four or five years ago, but we do have it now. And, you know, we don't want to point fingers, but we suspect it's come from the almonds and the yeah, bees Yeah, they believe it there. came through almond pollination from Queensland down to Victoria because of the mass congregation of, of pollination hives. Yeah, and they just jump in a couple pretty. of Victorian hives and off they went. Oh, the... Uh, the mites. Yeah, yeah. That's annoying. So it's frustrating um, because... As a suburban beekeeper, yeah, um, who do, who who doesn't do any migratory beekeeping, it's like don't do that. But you know, I do understand the importance of of because we need them for the pollination, and it's just that it's just such a huge mass congregation. It yeah, you do start to question. You wonder you wonder about the way in which we are producing our food, and and you start to think about well, why don't these places? Why don't they have uh, other things. Why can't they incorporate farms that have their own pollinators that actually reside there all year round? If your farm is so big that you need to bring pollinators in to pollinate your crop, should you not then think about looking after your own pollinators and then you will start you're to all, respect the bees a little bees bit more? Is what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah you're creating all, environments yeah. where they can so thrive in, and they can live and they can exist. So without. every 20 tree plant a something else. Is that, is that what you're well, saying? Well, just if, if, if you own a farm so big that, that you need to annually call in pollination services for your crops, you should potentially learn to look after your own pollinators because it's part of your crop cycle that you yeah, do yeah. need. But like you say, that you wouldn't be able to just have... Because it's just almonds that can't fly any further. They'd have to mix mix plant. Is that Yeah, is that right? it would be some kind of companion planting or yeah. some other like adjoining kind of farms that have other that have other things that can the bees can go on to because it's pretty stressful for beekeepers to they've most of the time they bring in really healthy strong colonies and by the time they leave the colonies are, uh, need to be built back up again because they're weak. I've um, heard about them getting stolen. Have you heard yeah. of Yeah. Yeah, it happens yeah. a lot. It happens often. Um, a lot of beekeepers now kind of uh, microchip their hives uh, with GPS stuff. Um, not all, but, yeah, it's really unfortunate because they'll either take the bees or they take the honey from the bees and kind of trash the hives and stuff like that, which is awful. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. What's the health benefits of honey? Health benefits, okay. Um scientifically proven health benefits <laughs> or just general anecdotal evidence, uh, uh, you know, for, yeah. it depends. Uh, okay, so... Uh, I hear you have hay fever. That's the one you hear, okay. you hear a lot of. So hay fever is that, yeah, a lot of people, um, we have got uh, cappings honey, which is basically all the um, honeycomb that we scratch off, shave off the off our frames that we mix all together from all our hives around Melbourne that um, has a lot of pollen content and, and, and raw honey. So the, the thing is with honey is as long as it hasn't been heat treated, there is some nutritional value in it. If the, if the honey has been heat treated, say over about 40 degrees, um, you're looking at in effect, pasteurizing it. So a bit more commercial, you're saying, right? Bit, yeah. So you're actually you're actually um, killing the antimicrobial content 
of the of the honey. Yeah. Um, but it does have antifungal properties. Um, being looked at um, or being actually actively used to even uh, dress uh, staph wounds. Um, it's shown to be very effective for burns because it allows moisture retention and some sort of breathability as well. So it uh, has been beneficial for Is burns. Is that because it's hydroscopic? Uh, I, I'm not sure of the exact reason as to, to why it's it's so good for burns, but it's been shown to be very promising. Um, yeah, so some of these resistant um, bugs that it, it's being used to treat. Um, and in general, we know a lot of, uh, well, lot um farmers and even vets who will use it on animal wounds so people using it on cattle wounds uh uh, for to dress wounds keep bacteria and things out but we do have a vet that does use our product on animals with hay fever hay fever yeah so going back to the hay fever thing so the idea of it is having you know a little bit of the allergen that you have issues with yeah um a lot of people seem to both of us don't suffer hay fever so don't have any evidence i mean terribly you do terribly, yeah, terribly. but we do believe a lot of people have told us that it does really work. Whether it is um, the placebo effect, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe it does for some and not for others. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, yeah totally. Knows? So if you have an allergy that is generated from a pollen from a tree, not pollen as in grass pollen, yeah, it won't work for grass pollen because bees don't visit, you know, yeah, grass yeah. and collect pollen from grass grasses. Um, the bit, yeah, so people were – there was a news story a couple of years ago on it um, where we had somebody who used our honey and who was shouting around going and how amazing it was and they put it on the they put it on the news. It was after that thunderstorm asthma oh, that yeah. we had. it wiped a few people out, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, mm. um, people went crazy over like, trying to get their hands on local honey because it can be – you know, very frustrating if you suffer from it. It yeah, can be yeah. people don't want to have to take all the um, medication and pills all the time. So it's not cheap either. Them pills, mm. are no, expensive. not at all. But the idea of it is ingesting a little bit of the allergen. Some people take um, generally about a teaspoon of it every day yeah. to in the in the season to help with that. The other thing is, if you're going to use it instead of sugar, like in your tea yeah. or yep. in, you know, in other things like that. Well, it was you know, our original sweetener. Sweetener, yeah. Exa- instead of getting that crap oh. sugar, you know, you're better off just putting a tea. All of those fancy European desserts that, that we're familiar with now all originated with honey. So even baklava and your Turkish delights, all those kinds of things. There's originally, yeah. All originally with honey. And now you try and find some of those old recipes and, and how to use the honey in it. And it can be a bit tricky. So um, it, it does work a little bit differently than normal sugar in cooking and once yeah, you once you get yeah. your head around that then definitely it's an easy replacement you hear a lot about the the honey in the supermarkets being glucose <laughs> yeah. or yeah. just not even like well yeah obviously glucose not even the honey but yeah mm-hmm. and, the, and the and the and the brand in it and labeling it incorrectly or at the con in you or so what's the go with all that read your labels when you're buying a product and what should yeah. you be looking for when you do yeah. read the labels now, this okay. is a tricky one, right? Because we've just recently, as you know, we all know, as being small producers, we've all had the new labelling laws come in. Yeah, percentage of Australian. Yeah. And that. Um, <laughs> you want 100% Australian honey if you, you know, if you can buy it, just buy from a local beekeeper at a farmer's market or somewhere on the side of the road or get in touch with. There's actually a, um, a honey map that you can access that has a whole heap of uh, local beekeepers all around the whole of the country uh, where you can avoid kind of supermarket. The, the problem is there's a lot of honey laundering that goes on throughout the whole world. 
So what, did you just say honey laundry? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, every industry has their issues and ours is the laundering of honey. So basically making bl- blending honey um, and sometimes not even honey itself, which is where you came in with the glucose syrup. Um, all sorts of things have been found in honey um, around the world. Um, so, sorry, wait, no, Joe, I'm just want to make sure we get this right. So what they will do, will they'll take a percentage of honey, which is actually honey, and they'll just bulk it up with, with glue. Is that what you're saying? Generally, yes, but there's even like there's... <laughs> There's even um, places that in China where you can send a sample of real honey and they can artificially make it. Laboratory identically. They'll they'll take it apart through mass spectrometers and things, show you all the individual components and make you an artificial version of it um, that is chemically identical. And and we get emails about that all the time offering to do that for us. So, (laughs) Sounds like a great idea. But one of the things that that, we kind of get get people to think about is um, having talked about how efficient the pollinators are and our our flora here in Australia and being a huge and and amazing honey-producing country, you need to think about if you are looking at the label and it's not 100% Australian honey, why on earth would we need to be in a position where you're buying an imported honey product when we are one of the biggest producers and, and a huge exporter? And that's when we see some of those giant companies um, that do control the market and the pricing of the market um, that will uh, export our quality honey, import cheaper honey for for our own citizens. Um, and so, yeah, we... It, it just seems so ironic and, and crazy that, that we we would be satisfied eating the inferior product that they're importing for us and exporting the, the best. That's because our labelling laws are relax and you only need to have what, 51% of the entire product to be Australian to call it Australian. Yeah. Is that even with the new law? Not so. I think the new law is trying to get a, to, to to try and stop that. So you can write Australian, but yeah. then you've still got to have yeah. it, and then yeah. it can be like fifty one percent. Yeah, whatever, but without that, with, so yeah. that's the, that's yeah. the new but fuel gauge. But scale's only half coloured in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But under uh, without that, what we call the the fuel gauge on the side of the label, under the the to traditional laws, if they said Australian, um, all they needed to do is have fifty one percent of an Australian product in there. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems crazy. The other issue we've got is the rest of the world has the parasitic mite varroa, which the honeybees are suffering worldwide. We are the only country in the world, including, well, even New Zealand has it. We're the only country in the world that doesn't have this varroa mite. So every beekeeper, or not every beekeeper, but the majority of beekeepers worldwide each season treat their hives with miticides. So it's in, it's it's a insecticide that doesn't kill the honeybee but does help kill the mites. So technically there's a lot of honey out worldwide that has got antibiotics in it. Um, Majority of it is in the wax, not in the honey, but still the honey is not clean and not pure. And so that's when you got laundering coming in as well. So, for example, in Chinese honey, being laundered all through the states and all through Southeast Asia and all through in, into Australia, um, you've got that problem as well. Um, there needs to be more stringent testing on it. And the thing is, on the actual honey, on the actual yeah. honey itself, and importing, they are, they are, they do try and test, but they're obviously not going to test everything that's coming into the country. 
Uh, the other thing is, well, when you're actually ultra filtering honey, so that's so heating honey and filtering honey. When you ultra filter honey, you're also potentially removing the pollen, right? The pollen is the thing that needs to be in the honey to be able to trace the honey to find its source. So some people will argue that if you ultra filter honey, then it has no pollen, then can you call it honey? And that's how I think there's a lot of laundering thing. That's that's how laundering happen, happens too. So there's actually a – there's been a recently a net Netflix um, series on food and some industries and, and the corruption laundering that goes on through that called Rotten. Yeah, yeah. One of them was on honey. So if, you're, if any of your listeners are interested, go check that out because that talks about the Chinese honey being laundered through America. It's unbelievable. You wouldn't, mm. you know, you would never know. You would never know, would you? Yeah. You know, no, you... People are going to supermarkets, you know, which I hate anyway, to be totally honest, but um, they're going to go there and they think they're doing the right thing because they're right organic on it and all that oh, yeah. as well. And they try and trick you and the mums are trying to do the right thing. So organic's interesting. So this is something I like to talk about is organic honey. So we talking before five kilometers, we know a bee can comfortably fly. Um, Five kilometre radius of a circle gives us an area of about 36,000 acres. So you need to know in the 36,000 acres around your beehive that no one's using any pesticide or any chemical to be able to be classed as organic. So I don't know that that's as... You'd have to knock on every door. <laughs> yeah, I'm, Excuse I'm, I'm, me. I, I get a bit sceptical about organic labelling. Yeah. yeah, especially... Yeah, that's all. That, <clears throat> I, I never ever thought that's a really good point. Okay. Really good point. Yeah. What, so what is the process from... The the bee to the toast. <laughs> <laughs> there's a big. Pro- um, there's a few steps in there from bee to toast. Oh, although you could take your, take your toast to the beehive, and that would be pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You could okay. So so the easy way is to take your toast to the hive, open up a hive, get a honey frame, and just take the caps off the honeycomb and just spread it on your bread. Ready. That would that's that'd be the easiest if you're a beekeeper. You Ready to go? Potentially potentially do that you know when you if you were to do that and you take the caps off would you then you'd have to drain it or could you just put it straight back and they would recap it, it they it would start weeping and the bees are very very ultra clean freaks so they would clean all of that up restore it recap it and clean and and so re- 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 just fix everything all the damage you've just done so there, there is some hive manipulation you can do by doing what you're doing you can scratch some frames to get the bees so uh, to, to move honey from one place of the hive to the other so at, at times the bees naturally keep their brood their babies in the lower section of the hive and the honey above and in the, the middle frames we we try and create uh, or have the bees create a, a division on those frames so we're just taking pure frames of honey out and at times we'll go into the hive and there'll be um, a mixed frame and so we can gently gently sometimes scratch those cappings and get those cappings to weep the bees then will open those cappings up clean all those frames out move the honey up because that's naturally where they're putting the honey is above the brood and essentially clean that frame out get it ready to put more brood in and they've moved the honey upstairs and then we've got them to to fix things up for us a little bit. <laughs> so going back to um, how do you basically, what's the process? Is, yeah. So there's a honey, I suppose there's a honey ke- honey season when with bees. Uh, generally where we are, so all our bees are stationary, so they don't move. Um, we don't go chase flowers like a lot of traditional beekeepers do. So all of our honey is what we call in effect garden honey or polyfloral honey, so from many different sources, right? 
So season-wise, we have generally we have a spring, summer and an autumn harvest here in Melbourne. We don't do any generally no winter harvesting, but if the warmer states do. So we go in, we go into our hives and this, uh, this time of the year we're getting ready for spring, which means we're pretty much hot on keeping an eye on the bees to see what they're doing because they start to expand their next. Once they start bringing in extra nectar, they start storing it. So they'll start storing it in what Matt said, the honey frames, which are generally up above, above their brood nest. So we'll go in there as beekeepers and once we know that the temper- overnight temperatures are kind of a little bit more stable, they're not too cold, we then can then start to look towards taking honey from the bees. So in each of the uh, hives that we have, there's a set of frames. In those frames, um, if the the majority of the honeycomb frames are all capped. So we, as a general rule, we don't take any frames out of the hives unless they're about 80, 90% capped. And then that's what we mentioned before about the fermentation. So as long as that that's that that's okay, it's safe to take that 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 honey from them. So we take that. Cut means it's finished. Cut means it's yeah. like it's what gone, you saw, what you see yeah, in yeah. honeycomb, which is complete wax cappings over the over the honeycomb. So if they're open, they're not finished. So the the caps are completely not reduced. Closed. Yeah, yeah, not reduced. Yeah. yeah. So the caps are completely um, sealed. We take those honey frames away and we, in effect, well, there's a few different methods. You can, if you're a hobbyist, you might crush and strain that. So you could actually, in effect, cut the honeycomb out and just simply strain it, crush it and strain it through filters. It can be some um, cloth or just mesh. Um, we ourselves, what we do is we shave those cappings off. So we, in effect, we cut the cappings off and we spin the spin the frames. So we extract the honey that way. So we spin it out into a big vessel and we basically simply filter it, and that's it. That's all we do with and the then honey. Put that back in with all the, the frames yeah. themselves. The frames go so back the in frames empty. go back to the bees. They go and clean them, and then they restore. We don't take the actual honeycomb away from our hives because for us, we don't produce, because the importance of our project has always been about the um, looking after the bees and ensuring that they have what they need firstly. We don't take honeycomb from our hives very often at all because we see it as kind of counterproductive. They'd have to build more of that, is that what you're yeah. saying? Well, the, the, yeah, because the thing is they need to eat approximately eight kilos of honey to make one kilo of wax because they can secrete it on demand themselves. So they, they produce and they make all the honeycomb themselves. Some people will argue like, you know, those new um, hives that people have been keeping, the flow hives, where you've we got the tap, it. right? Yeah, yeah. Is that a, I was going to ask you about that. Is that a good? Is that good? Uh, yeah, it depends on what camp you're sitting on. But beekeepers will swear that honey from the flow hive tastes different to honey that has been spun. Now, I don't know if that's true. Um, I don't have. I think it's because you, the, I think the wax component plays a part of it, and if you don't have the wax, then you don't get that extra f- that, that the flavour is different. That's what I would definitely say, hundred yeah. percent. If yeah, if something is made, yeah, exactly, exactly that. I couldn't explain it any better. But if, you know, if it's stored in one in plastic, or if it's stored in wax, well, therefore, for me, it makes sense. So, therefore, as a, from a purist point of view, we're saying that. Uh, the flow being a plastic frame and not getting some of those flavors imparted from the wax, that it isn't a pure 
be honey because you're lacking some of those flavors that yeah, yeah. make up those components. So yeah. it's like uh, it's missing like ten. Like making or wine and storing it in a stainless steel vat without any oak in it, and saying, "Yeah, here's our wine." It's yeah, it's yeah. missing that character that makes wine. That last little percent. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. What change? What changes the um, the color? Different nectars and different pollens. So um, definitely, where there's been some interesting cases overseas, especially where bees have managed to uh, get themselves into a local M and M's factory, and one also was in a um, Marinello cherry factory. Yeah, yeah, the cherry. Yeah. Um, and so they had green honey in one hive, and some bright, bright blood red honey in another hive, and blue honey. Yeah, blue, blue honey from and the so, M and M's. Yeah, yeah. So we've seen yeah different things. Yeah, so yeah, definitely the nectars play a major, major role in in that. Um, but we do see lots of so we see different coloured pollens coming into the hive, and and some of that is pigment. So yeah, essentially like that it goes, goes from green, blue, white, red, yeah. <clears throat> That's orange. Cool. Yeah. yeah, there's even uh, some glow in the dark honey. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a uh, a species of a sweet basaria. Sweet basaria that um, the nectar will fluoresce under UV light. Yeah. Man, I used to go to raves back in the nineties. Yeah, you know, you right? white, white gloves on and yeah, the, the UV yeah. and the rest of and it. We've seen it with our own eyes. We had a, a fellow beekeeper come to one of our local clubs, and and she brought along her honey, and you know we all turned the lights off, and sure enough, you could see fluorescent th- all through the honey jar. Yeah, it just streaks through it here and there yeah, of where yeah. the basaria is. Yeah, that's and then you, that, that's a direct. Do you know what I mean? You can see. <clears throat> yeah, that's actually there. So it's actually brought that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, amazing. That's it's pretty talking. cool. Yeah, it is. And you say about you know bringing this the the suburbs are a great place for uh, bees because of all the different species of flowers and all the rest of it. Why, like, would they normally be here, or do they like? Do you know what I mean? You're bringing them in. I guess that could, some people might get worried about yeah, that. Yeah. There's always, I mean, there will be bees anyway in the environment. Like, for example, people um, often ask us about bees in the city and a lot of people say, oh, well, they're your bees. And But there is a bees there anyway. Um, there's bees in hollows and trees in botanic gardens. They're, yeah, they're around anyway. The start, yeah, because uh, at that time... It was before the the massive spike in interest of bees. So we were basically at the crest of that wave. Um, And so when we were starting, we realised pretty early on that there was a massive educational component involved in what we were doing because at the time, councils still saw bees as a pest and they would exterminate bee swarms. Uh, we, We hadn't caught on to the importance of bees in our food security and food supply that especially Europe had, and America then was seeing colony collapse disorder, those kinds of things. We were, um, we were still just totally um, oblivious to all of that. Uh, and, and throughout what, uh, our journey of, of what we were doing, we, we've seen a very, very big shift in, in people's acceptance of bees. Now people are truly embracing what we're doing and, and um, even what we're doing or, or without what we're doing, they're just embracing bees in, in general full stop. Like you say, education. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if yeah. we want to, we want, if we need to look at our cities, if we want to move forward and see greener, more sustainable cities, pollinators play a huge role in that. And even if you want to grow your own fruit and veg in your backyard, balcony, whatever kind of space you've got, you need them around because otherwise you won't have any food. So I think that's a, such an important point. Like the impo- that forget the honey. 
Yeah, do you know what I mean? Totally. Like, that is, that's kind of like a little Brucey bonus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The real thing that we should be worried about is is the pollination of all the other food that we need. Yeah. Like, that's the... It's the food security, right? Yeah. That's the important and thing. And as we grow, we all know this. It's, it, it, we, you know, we're getting yeah. educated. I think uh, one of the last lots of figures that came in um, in the Australian industry of, of honey versus... Well, the bees versus honey industry, uh, pollination at last count was, I think, is about $8.3 billion that... Um, bees uh, contribute to uh, in pollination. So, so wait, let's just wait. So that's eight point three billion worth of food that's of, getting sold. That is pollinated by, by bees. bees yeah. Versus the honey industry is worth about one hundred and fifty million. Right. Exactly. So it's, yeah. it's like a drop in the ocean. Yeah. 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 So we see the honey as a byproduct of a healthy and happy hive. Something something happened. I read somewhere in two thousand and seven. Was there? Ah, uh, so there was was that the CCD colony collapse disorder. Yeah, maybe. So worldwide, bees were disappearing, and they didn't know why. Yeah, yeah. And so it was, yeah, it was it was coined CCD. Um, there was a lot of mystery because uh, I think from memory in America. Basically, beekeepers were coming to their hives, and there was like no evidence of the bees even being there. They weren't. It wasn't like they were all dead from contamination, or 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 it, they were just like disappearing, disappearing. disappearing. So um, that's that's from that's where I believe that um, term was coined from. But it was with the beginning of people starting to um, wonder. What are these contributing factors to the decline in in bee pollination, not bee pollination, in bee colonies? Um, as a general rule, most beekeepers, I mean, we don't really want to accept any losses over winter, but generally what happens is beekeepers come back from winter and go, oh, yeah, well, I lost X amount of hives. Um, hives? Hives, yes. So generally there would be an allowance of, it would be acceptable to maybe lose between 5 to 10% of your of your hives. Um but with throughout this CCD period, um, there was pe- pe- beekeepers were losing like fifty percent of their bees, um, which was unacceptable for you know for their role in pollination, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, so that's what's why the world started to get a lot really quite worried. I mean, in some countries, like for example Switzerland, the one winter they lost eighty percent of their bees. Um, so humans should be worried yeah, when that exactly. happens, right? Because if that does happen. <clears throat> Like you say, like especially it's at the end of the season, so it's not like you can get prepared for it or whatever. Mm. Do you know what no, I mean? Like, so, so, yeah. And Australia, like we breed a lot of bees and we export a lot of bees to other countries. Do we? Yeah. 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 Loads and loads of bees to America. It's, yeah, it's big business. What's the price for bee these days? Uh, <laughs> a single bee. So, you, <laughs> so they come as a, a, a nucleus hive. You, you can buy them in a couple of different formats. Um, some people sell packaged bees, which is basically bees in a box, not, not on frames, but everything, or, or everyone, everyone in in a, in a in an open kind of screened box. Or um, a lot of beekeepers will sell nucleus hives, which is. At the beginning of the um, beekeeping season, so uh, they will breed up. They'll maybe nest, might make their own queens, or they might artificially uh, divide hives and and throw in a new queen in there. Um, but basically, you it depends on the pricing. Depends from anywhere from about one hundred and fifty to about three hundred dollars. You can buy. You got a colony, a of colony, and yeah. that's a hive. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You guys, do you do? Is that what do you guys do that, or do you collect them? Or um, if someone, you know, if someone's found 
a hive in mm-hmm. the garden yeah. and you're like, oh, well, I've got young kids and I don't, you know, yeah, it's yeah. pretty scary or whatever. Yeah. So would you collect that? Basically, what, how that's how we started. Initially, we populated all of our hives from collected or unwanted, yeah, unwanted swarms that we would go out and, yeah, basically go and collect. So we'd be, you'd see those people that were, you know, looking in the bushes in a white bee suit with a box yeah. trying to shake trees, trying to get the and bees out of there. And how do you get them in there? We, you basically shake them in there and put the lid on. And, and if you've got the queen, they won't go. Or if they're happy. If they're happy with what is inside that box, they will stay there. TV, <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> All the comforts of the yeah. bee that the bees want. Exactly. When you open that book, are they are they angry? Are they, you know, like when you've relocated? Yeah, them. when you relocate, does it take a while for? So when you would only re- relocate a, sw- you get a swarm. Yeah, you get you get a swarm. That would have to go into an empty, yeah, mm-hmm. an, an empty hive. You couldn't, you wouldn't be able to just put them into another one or whatever. No, no, so an empty box, and then once they've settled and they're not going to abscond from what you've just offered them. Then you put some frames in it for them to build up on. Oh, so at first you just put them in a hive, an empty, yeah. empty hive, and just yeah. let them fly. Yeah. I don't know, just totally yeah, yeah, fly yeah, yeah. around inside. And, and it's as long as, yes, yeah, basically, if, if the workers are happy and the queen decides to stay, then they'll they'll stay with her. So Could they do one? They could be like, hang on. Absolutely, a you put them in a box, you come back four hours later, they're gone again, they're <laughs> yeah. up in a tree again. <laughs> and, and, and you can do it four, five, six times, and they'll just not accept what you're offering. We chased a swarm around the city one year. And it jumped out of the box like three times. Mm. It, it didn't want to no. be there. It just did not want to. It did did not want us to take <laughs> to put it in a box. Just like oh, I want to be out outside. And do you think they would prefer it in trees and that or not? Yes and no. Sometimes you see some bees that have gotten desperate, not able to find a protective hollow, and they'll set up an, an open colony. Um, where you see just hanging combs in a tree and they're so susceptible to cold weather and rain and wind that they, they don't thrive very well, which is kind of sad. So if we can get onto those reasonably early. Oh, do you can... see that here in Melbourne? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Do you? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Mm. I just think of um, like bears digging the <laughs> you know, like, you know, like yeah. Winnie yeah, the yeah. Pooh or whatever, just shoveling honey well, in his Well, they've got no natural predator here, so they're mm. kind of relatively safe outside. Mm. How did they get ways. here? So um, your mates brought them. So first, first fleet arrived. <laughs> Ten pound ponds, but uh, and, and so first fleet arrived. They brought traditional food crops with them, and when they got here, our native bees didn't weren't weren't used to any of those uh, any of that flora. Um, so then uh, someone went down to Cook's Cottage. There's a post box out the front. Posted a letter back home to oh, yeah. to the motherland <laughs> and said um, send pollinators. No, so um, bees arrived on the second fleet. Um, on, the boat. on the second fleet, is that yeah, right? Isabella, on one of the boat, the Isabella, and there was another boat that some hives arrived on as well. It's noted in some some old literature in the in the newspaper articles yeah. that yeah, bees were brought across on the second fleet. Bloody hell! So where do you have hives? Many locations. Yeah. So we yeah. look after. I don't know the exact place. I don't want <laughs> no, that's okay. Them. There is a map. There's a map, but most of them you can't get to because they're on, on rooftops, the rooftops, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we keep about uh-huh, well, current count is we look after about 120 beehives. We look after those across about 30-odd sites, so um, there's a lot of travel time in between our hives. We have approximately 25 hives that reside in the CBD grid on rooftops as well, so right in the city. But uh, most of our hives are in the city or in the city fringe um, and pretty much a trail leading out to Heidelberg. Oh, really? Because that's where we're based out there. So, ah. so we just made a dense corridor all the way. There's a big corridor coming going into the city and back. Although, I know it's it's quite common 
around around the world, Paris, mm. yeah. um, New York. Is it New York? So this is yeah. cool. What uh, originally happened is is you know back back many many years ago now, when we went from our backyard beekeeping with our one or two hives, it was uh, Vanessa one morning woke up and said to me, um, we've got to do something more with the bees. We've got to take bees back to the city. And I thought that was an odd thing to say, first thing to me in the morning. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then worked out what Vanessa's getting at, you know, something more for the bees and, and looking at um, bringing them to the city. So we jumped on Google um, over a morning coffee and, and thought we'd come up with an amazing idea that we're going to put them on the rooftops. It's underutilised. There'll be a big wave of rooftop gardening. We'll be on board with this. Um, and then Google told us, no, this has been going on for hundreds of years. You haven't come up with your own idea. But nothing was going on in Melbourne. Yeah. And we thought we would be tied up with the whole rooftop garden movement, but it doesn't seem to have been as uh, active as what we expected is the rooftop garden movement. It is There is a little bit here and there, but we thought it would be a huge uptake in Melbourne. Yeah. But still, we went ahead with... Uh, activating rooftops with with beehives and that's been reasonably successful yeah Yeah, i mean the um, yeah the parisians are well known for it the new york new york city beekeepers they're pretty well known for their beekeeping and the english the english have have really had a had had a um quite a history with keeping bees as well i mean even though the you know you guys have a shorter season you're still very very keen and when we see when we have people, when we do markets and stuff, I tell you, the English, they love their honey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. really, really do. Yeah, I love honey, honestly. Yeah. And um, we, we've even seen through social media, we see the different uh, bee seasons around the world as they, as, as we going into our winter, you know, the UK is going into their summer. Yeah. And a couple of summers ago, there was swarms throughout London City and one of them was in... Uh, oh, what's In that? Oxford Street. Oxford Street. And there was a crowd around this beehive in Oxford Street and people were praising it, so excited to see bees in the city. <laughs> we're like, oh, man, I wish they were so positive about that. Yeah. With, yeah, if, if we have bees swarm here, whether it's our bees or not, in the city, it, it's going to be our well, fault. But, although uh, Sydney had a swarm last year and they, and they landed on a, a bicycle in the, in, um, right in the heart of the CBD and... That actually was a really good news story because it, it made the main it made the mainstream news and it went across the world. It went it went quite viral around the world, and um, yeah, it was just like it was lovely to see the fact that people were just hanging around taking photos, really up close and personal. Because the thing is, swarms are not aggressive. So when when colonies um, decide to split, and even though they may be hanging somewhere and they look kind of scary, they're actually at their most passive because they're not interested in in us. They're looking for a new home. They don't have any they don't have any brood or baby bees and and stores to look after. They're kind of just you know in, they're out to. A good time. <laughs> yeah, they're, kind of, yeah, they're in transit and they yeah, don't yeah. they don't have anything to protect. So it's yeah. actually bees inside a hive. That are going to be the most defensive because it's their yeah, home. Yeah, it's their home, and, yeah, yeah. and our role, if you think about it, we go in with our suits on. So we're masked bandits ransacking their home, taking what we deem valuable, yeah. throwing it back together, and walking their away. Off. Was, yeah. Speak for yourself. And so, I don't ransack nobody. But, but technically, it's like a, a <laughs> yeah. home invasion. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so you can expect that they're going to be a little bit upset with a beekeeper. And so that's we. Yeah. yeah. Are we? I used to. Um, yeah, when we were at school, I got a matchbox, and then. Um, I was killing bees, you know. I was a kid. It's not ideal, I know. So you put the bees in the box. Put the bees in the in the matchbox. You know, I, I was like, oh, I was just a kid. Yeah. On my way to school, on, on it was uh, yeah, on the way to school. Put the matchbox in the in my desk, you know, the thing yeah. that you lift up like that. And then I heard 
and there was like 10 bees inside this matchbox that I got. It was in there. And next thing you know, I was like, and I could hear them buzzing. I was like, oh, fuck, that's the bees, man. The bees have cut them. must have got out of this thing somehow. And I opened my thing and out come all these bees in the classroom. That's pretty good. I was like, (laughs) I must have just like knocked them out or something. But yeah, I hadn't killed them. And yeah, Yeah. there was bees all in the class. It was a big nightmare. Um, Did you take responsibility for it or did you get away with it? No, I let it, no, because everyone knew it was me. Yeah, was you didn't just, just say, I don't know. <laughs> no, because like, everyone just knew it was me, you know what I mean? No, like, I would have tried to deny it. That's Robbie again in his antics. Teach up in the window, get these, it was yeah. all right in the end. Yeah, Did anybody good. get stung? No. No, no well then. No. Were they honeybees or bumblebees? Bumblebees. Bumblebees. Oh, bumblebees. Wow. Uh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, but I have been stung. I've been stung twice. It's not that bad, I don't think. It really yeah, isn't. We get, so we do get stung all the time. It's um, not that bad. You know, people get scared. It really isn't. I was Even I was, I was scared. Even I, like, I'm some brave superhero. But, like, <laughs> I, I, um, yeah, I, I was a bit, like, nervous about, like, oh, what happens you get stung? What's going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Gonna, yeah, and I got stung. I was like, oh, that's all right. Yeah. It's so, not too bad. Um, we do lose our immunity, so to speak, um, when we come out of winter. So the first sting of the season always hurts. It's stung. The more generally you build an immunity to it, and that immunity lasts for, they say, eight to ten weeks. Um, So by the end of the season, we can be stung, not even need to pull the stinger out immediately, and you get a tiny little red dot smaller than a mosquito bite. Yeah, so nothing by the end of the season. But there is a... So how many times times do you get stung in a season, Dragon? I I don't like wearing a full suit because it gets hot, so I just wear normal work pants. So... I generally get stung all up my legs all the time. <laughs> yeah, so a couple of times a day sometimes. Um, and generally I try and keep the stings below the knee. I don't like them getting up any higher yeah, than yeah, that. Yeah, it starts yeah. getting a bit risky. Um, but, uh, yeah, so um, it, it does still hurt. So that sting always hurts. There's a bit of venom. It hurts for a good 10 minutes sometimes. Some older bees with a lot more venom hurts than a young mm. bee. Um, mm. But there is that tiny tiny less than one percent of the population that is anaphylactic yeah yeah so bee allergy and this is something that uh, that a lot of the the general public get confused about being a, being allergic to bees a lot of us believe we're allergic to bees or a doctor has told us we're allergic to bees bee allergy means you stop breathing and you fall over on the ground and you need adrenaline or you need a tube in your throat to breathe not it hurts anything less than that is not a bee allergy it's yeah, a, just yeah. a response to venom to yeah. envenomation so um the other thing that we get, you know, sometimes on, on extremities where, you know, there's less lymphatic drainage and things like that, you'll get a swollen novelty hand for a couple of days. <laughs> Faces um, too, no, faces swell. Yeah. yeah, so that kind of thing, but mm. um, that, that is an allergy. That's just normal reaction to venom. Monty, my son, he was coming down the bank here mm. the, the, in the summer mm. and um, he fell off and he smashed his face and it was a nightmare. Yeah. Anyway, I was coming in and he said, oh, Dad, look, I did this, look, and have a look. And he said, I did this. And he walked down, he showed me just where he fell off and his face was all bruised and everything. He goes, oh, look, I fell off. And then he hit the roof, well, hit the sky, and he stood on a bee oh. while showing me what he'd just done to his face. Oh, no. And he was screaming, man. But he, he took it. Distracted him man. from the face. Yeah, and exactly. It's <laughs> <laughs> all he did all of a sudden. That's that a new problem. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we just put him in... Um, the neighbour actually said, just get it in cold water. Yeah, ice. Yeah, 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 yeah that helps a lot. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's funny. It's we. I, I don't get stung as much as Matt. Um, I do wear a full suit, so I don't have the issue that he has with them crawling up my pants. I, I do wear, and I go through stages where I do and don't wear gloves in the hive as well. But, you know, if you really, 
if you're gentle and you're slow and slow movements, kind of like Tai Chi style, most of the time and you take your time and you be present, you'll have a, generally have a good time. Yeah, you'll be yeah. fine. Most of the time you'll be fine if you're respectful towards them. And I know it sounds kind of crazy and it sounds like we're being acting like, I don't know, 1960s hippies, but the thing is you do there is there's this level of respect that you need to show them if you want to enter their domain. Exactly. And also if you see them in the garden, there's no need to try and whack them. Don't swipe. Yeah, yeah. Swiping yeah. means fight. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I, I, I see though. people swipe like, yeah, but yeah, they're so, all right. They're all right. Aren't so they? bees actually have no interest in humans whatsoever. Yeah. They are absolutely driven to work and want nectar and pollen. Uh, sometimes in hot weather, they may come into our human space um, in search of, of water. Be just because they keep that hive at that perfect temperature all year round, they actually consume water, but they also use water for evaporative cooling. They have their own air conditioning too. So they, so they do need access to water and sometimes they'll, they'll come into a human space. Um, for that, but generally they have no interest in humans. Sometimes we confuse them with perfumes and hair products and yeah, other things. Flowers, thinking that yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so they'll stop. Uh, sometimes even the colours of our clothing, blue, they're attracted to. They'll stop for a second, hang around a human for probably less than three seconds. Generally, realize, realize that you don't, you're not a food source, and they'll be on their way. Yeah. And it's in that short time, if you swat at them, they think, oh, you want to fight, and they're pretty good at fighting. Yeah, for sure. But I think people get mixed up between bees wasps. and wasps. Yeah, so wasps are the ones that will hang out at the barbecue and will annoy you over Carnivores. your food. Carnivores. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And so the that. best trap to make to catch wasps is meat-based traps because bees aren't interested in meat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of people will try and make sweet traps and the thing is you'll get bees as well and you'll end up getting yeah. bees and wasps. Yeah. But, yeah, meat is definitely – they actually wasps come in and take out bees as well. Yeah. 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 So, you know, as a beekeeper, we don't really love like the wasps. Wasp. I mean, they've got to – Everyone hates a wasp. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Someone's going to have to love them somewhere. They're, I mean, they're there, right? So yeah. they have to be here. They're, they're like doing some kind of cleanup job yeah, for the yeah, insect yeah. cleanup world. For sure. But they're, um, they're not particularly liked. So we do often – every season we get numerous inquiries about bees are being a problem and we have to go down and, and we have to go down the question path of are they furry? Are they do or do or are they black and yellow? Do they have a hard exo, exoskeleton? You know, are they acting in this way or that way? And to try and determine yeah. what, what they, they actually are. are. Are they coming yeah. out of a hole in the ground? Yeah. That's wasps, not bees. Oh, is it? Yeah. So they yeah. live underground, are the wasps? Generally, yeah. And they can have huge, huge colonies underground. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how can people get more involved? Like, can in the garden? What kind of space do you need in your garden? You know, like how is my what job in here? There's nothing yeah, in it. Perfect sign. Yeah, it's yeah. not there. Um, you don't yeah. need a lot of space if you're wanting to. If you're wanting to keep a beehive, you don't necessarily need a lot of yeah space. You just need the right aspect for the bees. Generally, you want something. You want to place your hive where they get morning sun. Um, you need in Australia. You need a little bit of protection from the afternoon sun. Um, yeah. We us on rooftops. We generally use other buildings and parapets of roofs and things to kind shadows of protect to yeah, shadows yeah, to yeah. help to, to help them as well. Um, but yeah, you you literally can have a hive in you know a one and a half meter square space. Mm-hmm. You don't need a lot of you don't need a lot of room. And would you guys come if someone did want a hive in their house? Would you could, would you go up there and say yeah we'll put a hive in here? Is that a service you offer? 
we initially started, we initially did that. We actually have a waiting list of about three or 400 people because we kind of got inundated when we first started. So many people were offering their gardens and or buildings and say, can you come and put a beehive here or where? And we initially, when we first, when we first got going, we were super, super excited. So we entertained a lot of things we actually weren't very realistic. Um, And so we're actually pretty much at the moment where we're maxed out to how many, like what we can take on. We'll, we'll, we will, we will look at places where we already have hives because it makes sense to location location wise if if we already got a hive in that particular area we will look at it because it would make our route more efficient yeah but if we don't if we don't have bees in 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 that area we kind of at the moment we're we're pretty much saying no because we're we're at our limit we wouldn't be able to service those bees properly so what can if people what can they do so then we would encourage um people to if if you've got any inkling to to have your own hive we we strongly encourage that definitely pursue that because it, it's a very rewarding hobby there's so, lots of beekeeping clubs and things but yeah we, you can we learn. would we would then um generally throughout the year we might run a, a course or two um depending on the demand do you do a tutorials you should do you yeah. you've got a youtube channel we don't do youtube no. you should do youtube we tutorial haven't got a YouTube, YouTube channel to teach people how to do it but we can run some um workshops and beginner courses as well as there's a lot of local clubs now running courses as yeah well. okay but um if you want to help bees uh, in your area, I always encourage people to try where you can to plant some bee-friendly plants and flowers. Friend, which are what? Generally, you're looking at open-pollinated, non-hybridized type of oh, yeah. plants. Oh, yeah, I know them. So <laughs> old, good old-fashioned good old kind of um, simple flowers. Yeah. Bees do like um, – they like a mix. They're, they're, they like herbs. Do they? Yeah, they love herbs. They love well, citrus. Yeah, citrus, okay. they get a little caffeine kick out of citrus. Oh, yeah, a bit of a buzz. Yeah, yeah they literally do. But, um, you know, even if you can plant some some basil, some thyme, some tomatoes. rosemary, tomatoes as well. Tomatoes need the pollination, but, you know, bees oh, will come and yeah, okay. bees will collect. Generally, they'll just collect pollen from that, but that's okay. They, we still need them and we still need them to come and do that job. Um Oh God, there's there's a huge lot. So we have a list on our website as well from bee friendly oh, plants, right, per- yeah. which is what rooftophoney.com.au. Yeah, perfect. But the other thing is, um, then think about the chemicals you're using in your garden as well. Yeah, um, you know, pests are, can be a problem, but um, there's other ways around pests, um, and and you you don't want to be killing the bees that do come and visit your garden if if you're needing you them chemicals. for pollination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and then also um, buy honey from local yeah, suppliers, from yeah. beekeepers. farmers markets, your local beekeeper, find someone near you um, rather than the industry giants that potentially are damaging the industry. Um, yeah, support local and buy Definitely. local for sure. That's, totally that's always of, of benefit for you and for the, for the local producer. For sure. Yeah. Um, if anyone wants to find you, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, you. we're on. Oh, we're on. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, In the handles, rooftop uh, honey. Well, actually, when we first started, we we put up a handle. It's actually rooftop bees, but you'll find us anyway. If you yeah, put rooftop yeah. honey, and you'll find us. Perfect. Is there anything yep. else you want to say? 
No, thank you for oh, having good. us. Yeah, no, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah we covered thank, a lot of stuff there. That's thanks good. very much for, you, for coming. I appreciate it. And hopefully we can spread the word and yep. get people understanding the importance, not just from the honey, but from the pollination. And, yeah, and the rest totally. Of it and, and try and boycott them supermarkets and buy it from local. Oh, well, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, read, yeah. as we said, read your labels. And if it's a big, big brand on a supermarket shelf, then... There's yeah. a good chance it's not. Yeah, maybe. All Definitely. I can say is go Urban Bees yeah. and go and go help go help the bees and go help the bees in your Better local flavor. environment. Yeah, just flavor. think local. And yeah. what, do you know, I, what, before I go, the, do you know what I love? Uh, toast, Vegemite, Ooh. banana and honey. Oh, oh. It's unbelievable. No, I've never tried not. that combination. It's, un, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I'm telling you, I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite things. Anyway, okay, thanks very yeah. much for coming. All right, have a good one. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please tell a friend or give us a rating or review on your podcast app. It all helps to get more listeners. Thanks. Until next week, have a good one.